Welcome to Come Follow Me with Bree, Episode 3. Today we're covering 3rd Nephi, Chapters 1 through 2. So the Come Follow Me curriculum this week is actually Chapters 1 through 7, but there's just so much good stuff in here and I couldn't just figure out how to leave anything out. So I'm going to divide it into two sections and probably on Wednesday of this week I'll release the second episode, but I didn't want to put it all in one episode because that would be a lot to handle. Funny thing happened this week. One of my best friends came into town to visit. Um, she was one of my college roommates, and she has been listening to the podcast. And she was telling me how much she loved it and how she was proud of me. But she said, Bree, you need to get a real microphone. And I was like, I do have a real microphone. <laughs> and she was like, No, you don't. It sounds like you're just talking into your phone. And I said, no, I have a real microphone anyway. So I guess at some point I need to get uh, a better microphone, but for now this will do. I think she felt bad, but I just thought it was funny. All right. So let's dive in. So in the first chapter, it talks about how Nephi, the son of Helaman left the brass plates to his oldest son, who is also named Nephi. All these Nephi's get so confusing. And no one ever heard from Nephi, the older Nephi, the dad of the new Nephi, never heard from him again. Now, this is the Nephi that was crying on his tower and um, told the people about all the cool signs about how their chief judge was murdered and then caught the murderer. So that's that guy. When I read that, it made me think that he is a prophet of God, and he's dedicated his entire life to the gospel. Just as like a little side note, I just think it would be so cool to learn about where he went, because I'm sure it wasn't just like a random walk and he left the city and just wandered. I'm sure that the Lord had some kind of plan for what he was going to go do. I'm not going to try and guess what he did, but I just think it would be cool to learn later what happened after he left. But I'm sure wherever he went... He was following the Lord's command. So now we have Nephi, who is that other Nephi's son, who is now left with the city. And there start to be lots of signs and miracles. But despite that, the people who didn't believe started to mock those who did. It says in chapter 1, verse 6, and they began to rejoice over their brethren, brethren, which I think it's so funny to think of rejoicing over them. Do we ever think of ourselves as rejoicing when we think that we're right and we're just rejoicing over them that they are wrong. It says, and they began to rejoice over their brethren saying, behold, the time is past and the words of Samuel are not fulfilled. Therefore your joy and your faith concerning these things hath been in vain. And it came to pass that they did make a great uproar throughout the land. And the people who believed began to be very sorrowful, lest by any means those things which had been spoken might not come to pass. But behold, they did watch steadfastly for that day and that night and that day, which should be as one day as if there were no night, that they might know that their faith had not been in vain. Things are so similar right now. Have you ever had the thought yourself or had someone say to you that the time is past when the Savior should have come again and it's not happening as quickly as you thought or they thought? I mean, we hear quotes from Joseph Smith's time that says that the Lord's coming is nigh at hand and things similar to that. And we see this all throughout the scriptures. 
I'm sure our pioneer ancestors thought that it was soon, like maybe within their lifetime. But we have all of the signs of the times. And if you study them, they are being fulfilled, but they are not all fulfilled yet. And by giving us those signs, he is confirming the faith of the faithful. And if we are watching, they are there. But God's version of soon is not our earthly version of soon. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, the Joseph Smith translation version, it says, But concerning the coming of the Lord, beloved, I would not have you ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise and coming, as some men count slackness, but long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come into repentance. Mind blown. That scripture is amazing. It says it right there. A thousand years for us is only one day for him. The difference in the passage of time for us is a tender mercy. He is giving us as much time as possible. He wants us to have time to learn to have faith and learn to give our heart to him. I am amazed as I think of what a blessing this is to me. I am so thankful to our all-knowing wise Heavenly Father for time, the time we've been given, and how wise of him to make our time last longer than it does for him. I have learned so much in the last five years. Right now, I feel ready to meet the Savior, and I did not five years ago. And it isn't because my actions are dramatically different. I make so many mistakes every week. I am consistently um, frustrated, disappointed in myself, and I have character flaws that I'm working on. But... What has changed is that I know that he has changed my heart in the last five years, and I have gained a real testimony of the atonement. When I take the sacrament each week, I can feel the cleansing power of the atonement, and I have faith in the promises he makes, and he has promised that through the atonement, I am made clean. So it doesn't matter that I am not perfect, but... I believe in the atonement and I use the atonement. And because of that, I know that as long as I'm continuing to do that, I can meet him with joy. And that confidence that I believe I can meet him with joy comes from believing him, believing that he has made me clean because he does not lie. And I know that he makes me clean if I keep my heart turned to him. I am grateful for the gift of time he is giving us all. He isn't trying to rush us. He's giving us so much time to repent and prepare. What a merciful God we have. The whole plan was created so that we can experience the full measure of joy, and he is giving us as much time as possible to progress. He is giving you the gift of time. And as it says in Peter, he is not slack, but long-suffering. He loves you and he wants to give you ample time for you to give your heart to him. Watch for the signs. They are given to the faithful to confirm faith. There are so many signs that we have been told about. Here, I'm going to read some of them. All will hear the gospel in their own tongue. And that's in the process of being fulfilled. Think of how many languages that the Book of Mormon has been translated into and how many missionaries we have. 
out in different parts of the world. The lost 10 tribes will return. Couples will avoid marriage and live openly together. Christ will come to his temple. Much ecological damage will occur in the last days. The church will become well known throughout the earth. Diseases, plagues, and pestilence will... (laughs) Didn't say that very well. Disease, plagues, and pestilences will sweep through the earth in spite of medical advances in technology. Knowledge, science, and technology will increase dramatically. Wars and rumors of wars will become normal life. There will be widespread disrespect for that which is sacred and holy. Sexual immorality, homosexuality, and pornography will abound. Jerusalem will be a cup of trembling to those who attempt to fight against it. People will deny the power of God. Many will openly approve of gross sin. The gospel will flourish in in Egypt and a temple will be built there. Some of the very elect will be deceived. And then we kind of get to the end of um, things that haven't been fulfilled yet, as far as we know. The meeting at Adam on Diamond. Two prophets will be killed in Jerusalem. The Mount of Olives will be split in two when Christ comes. The righteous will be taken up to meet the coming Lord. Everyone will see Christ when he comes. We have been given so many signs to watch for. Some of those signs are in process and happening right now. Some of them some of them haven't happened yet. And there are tons of signs that have already happened. So in 3 Nephi, after the, the believers have been made fun of and they're starting to feel um, sad that maybe they were wrong. The next verse, verse eight says, but behold, they did watch steadfastly for that day and that night and that day, which should be as one day as if there were no night that they might know that their faith had not been in vain. Are we watching steadfastly? If we are watching, we will get to receive the gift of these signs. If we aren't watching, we will not recognize them for what they are. And what a mercy it is that they are there. They're there to confirm your faith and to help give you peace that he has a plan and that everything that is happening is all in his hands. Okay, next, the unbelievers set aside a day for all the believers to be put to death if the sign of his birth doesn't come by a certain day. Ugh, that is pretty intense. Can you even imagine? your faith being tested to that extent, I don't really know how I would feel. Um, That's not really something that I have ever experienced where I have been in physical danger because of my faith. And I think you'd have to do a whole lot of praying, I guess. Nephi is very sad for all the wickedness and this danger that the believers are now in. And he prays in behalf of the faithful. And, of course, the Lord answers. And he says in verse 13, Lift up your head and be of good cheer, for behold, the time is at hand, and on this night shall the sign be given, and on the morrow come I into the world, to show unto the world that I will fulfill all that which I have caused to be spoken by the mouth of my holy prophets. Behold, I will come unto my own to fulfill all things which I have made known unto the children of men from the foundation of the world. And I just love that. He will fulfill all things. And as verse 13 says, be of good cheer. Yes, things are getting intense here on earth. But all of the incredible things that we talk about, all of those signs that we just went through, 
they will happen in reality. Sometimes I think it's just so beyond our imagination that we kind of forget that it's a real thing that will happen and he will fulfill it because he has promised that it will happen. And we don't know exactly when, but we do know that we are helping prepare the world for it. Cling on to the peace that only he can give and be of good cheer. Christ will come personally on the earth. Somehow, I don't know how it will work, but he will appear to every person in the world and every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is the Christ. And this is a reality because he will fulfill all things. Now moving on, it happens just as Nephi was told. There is no darkness that night and many who had not believed fell to the ground as if they were dead because that's what Nephites do and their minds were blown. They knew that they had been wicked and ignored the signs. And in verse 20, it says, And it came to pass, yea, all things, every wit, according to the words of the prophets. And the same applies to our day. It will come to pass, all things, every wit, according to the prophets. A new star appears. And despite all of these miracles, there began to be lying sent forth among the people by Satan. Because that's what Satan does to harden their hearts to the intent that they might not believe in those signs and wonders which they had seen. But most believe, and most are converted, and they have peace for a few years. But then, after a few years, the Nephites and the Lamanites both are sad because some people begin to break away and join the Gadiantans, which are deep into the mountains doing whatever Gadiantans do. And it says specifically about the Lamanites that they were sad that they had many children who did grow up and begin to wax strong in years that they became for themselves and were led away by some who were Zoramites by their lyings and their flattering words to join those Gadianton robbers. Does that sound familiar? And then in the second chapter, it says, And it came to pass that thus passed away the ninety and fifth year also, and the people began to forget those signs and wonders which they had heard, and began to be less and less astonished at a sign or a wonder from heaven, insomuch that they began to harden their hearts and blind their minds and began to disbelieve all which they had seen and heard, imagining up some vain thing in their hearts that it was wrought by men and the power of the devil to lead away and deceive the hearts of the people. And thus Satan did get possession of the hearts of the people again, insomuch that he did blind their eyes and lead them away to believe that the doctrine of Christ was a foolish and a vain thing. This is what happens when we don't treasure those witnesses and experiences that we have been given. We forget how impossibly amazing they were. We forget the power of the witness we received from the Holy Ghost. One of the most powerful things we can do is testify to others about our experiences. We have a great example of that in Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith said, I had actually seen a light, and in the midst of that light I saw two personages, and they did in reality speak to me. And though I was hated and persecuted for saying that I had seen a vision, yet it was true, I knew it. And I knew that God knew it, and I could not deny it. Ten years go by, and the people are back to being wicked, and they have forgotten the witness that they received. Can you even imagine that? You see this amazing miracle of the nighttime not getting dark, just as the prophets have foretold. And then you forget how amazing and miraculous that was. 
It just goes to show you how important it is and crucial it is that you treasure those things. Because Satan can convince you to rely on your own logic and he can trick you and make you forget. So I wanted to share with you a story that happened to me that was one of the most powerful stories, not stories, things that happened to me in my whole life. It's kind of a long story. I'm going to try and tell it as quickly as I can. My husband got a job in Utah at the time we were living in Seattle, and he left a few weeks earlier than I did. I stayed behind to sell our house and get all packed up and all that kind of stuff. And to make things short, I had a really crazy moving day where lots of things didn't go as expected, and the people who bought our house were moving in the next day. And it was really late at night and I was going to have to leave to drive all the way to Utah from Seattle with my two kids. And I was um, like three months pregnant with my third and it was already midnight and I still, the house was just messy. Like I needed to get it vacuumed up. So I wasn't leaving it a disaster for the people who were moving in. I started to vacuum and my vacuum broke. It had been working for years and now it broke. And like I said, it is late at night and all of a sudden I hear a knock on my door and it's my sweet ward member neighbor. And she said, I saw your light on and I thought I might ask you if you needed anything. And I hadn't even prayed for her and she just appeared and she gave me her vacuum. So that's miracle number one. So I didn't get to bed until very late And I decided to leave later than I had planned, but I still needed to get out of there fairly early in order to have a manageable day driving to Utah. I left about eight o'clock and I still can very vividly remember seeing my, just my eyelashes shaking as I was driving. And clearly that's not safe. And as soon as I saw my eyelashes shaking, I just knew that I needed to pull over. So I pulled over somewhere in the middle of nowhere. And I turned on a movie for my two girls um, who were toddlers at the time. And I just said a quick prayer and asked heavenly father to help them be able to just watch the movie and not try and talk to me so that I could get at least, you know, an hour and 20 minutes of sleep so that I could continue on. So that happened, which was a miracle that they could possibly leave me alone for that long. And I got my little nap and I felt so much better as soon as I was on the road. Miracle number two, we kept driving. We're in the middle of absolutely nowhere, I think in Oregon. And I come to a place with, um, there's nothing around, but four gas stations, or at least I think there were four. There were four gas stations, but no town. It was just this random gas station place on the side of the highway. So I pulled off because I needed gas and I got my gas and I was getting ready to bring my kids into the gas station to have them have a little bathroom break. And all of a sudden I hear my name saying, Brianne, and I turn around and it is one of my ward members from back in Seattle. And I was just amazed that I even saw her because we happened to end up on the same exit off the same exit at the exact same time in the exact gas station. And she happened to see me. It was just an amazing coincidence. 
And she asked me if I wanted to carpool so that I didn't feel like I was just alone on the highway. And at first I said, sure, that would be great. But then as I took the girls in and we were having them go to the bathroom, I was just thinking, you know, I have two little kids with me. She doesn't have any young kids with her. She had her son who was 17 with her. And I feel like it's going to stress me out if I have to stop more times than she does and make her trip much slower. And so I went back out and I told her, you know, ultimately, if I have an emergency, I know that you're not that much farther ahead of me and you could always come back and help if I really needed it. But I think we're just going to be so much slower than you and we're going to have to stop more times and that's going to stress me out. And so thank you, but you guys go ahead. So I was getting the kids back in the car and as I got them back in the car and they were driving away, I somehow locked my keys in the car and also my two and a half year old daughter. And it was fairly cold outside. Um, not so cold that I was immediately worried for her, but I just flipped out. And luckily somehow they hadn't driven away far enough. So I just run after their car because my brain initially just was thinking, I don't want to be alone right now. I just locked my two year old in the car and I knew I was going to have to try and figure things out. And it just seemed so much more useful to have them there. And I remember thinking that I just wouldn't have been able to handle it emotionally because I was on the edge and keep in mind, I'm pregnant. And if they hadn't stopped and been there with me during that time, I, I mean, ultimately I probably would have gotten through it, but I felt like I was on the edge of, of losing it. So the fact that they stopped and were there is just a miracle. So I was able to flag them down. They came. Her son kind of helped keep my two and a half year old occupied through the window so she wouldn't be too sad. And I, and then my five, I think she was five, four or five year old, um, went in their car so she could stay warm because we were locked outside of the car. I went into the gas station and not really knowing what my solution was going to be because, like I said, I was in the absolute middle of nowhere. And I couldn't imagine that there was going to be a locksmith anywhere near where I was at. And I went up to the counter and told the clerk my problem. And lo and behold, somebody spoke up behind me and he said, I'm a locksmith. Can I help? Oh my goodness. How on earth did a locksmith end up behind me at the exact moment I needed one in the middle of nowhere? So he helped. It took him almost 45 minutes to get into my car because every time he would get it unlocked, it would immediately like some security feature would relock it. And he eventually was able to get this hook through my window and hook the keys that were inside my purse and then push the button. And we finally got in. I cannot deny that God was with me on this trip. The rest of the trip was kind of hard because I was still tired, but we made it. But all of those miracles, I cannot deny that he was there and with me and supporting me. And I found out later that my mom had said a prayer that angels would be there to guide me, that my ancestors would be there with me. And I am positive that they were there. Heavenly Father sent them there because of the request of my mother. He was there with me and I know it and I know that God knows it and I will never forget and never deny it. President Eyring said in his talk, Oh, remember, remember, 
The key to remembering that brings and maintains testimony is receiving the Holy Ghost as a companion. It is the Holy Ghost who helps us see what God has done for us. It is the Holy Ghost who can help us help those who we serve to see what God has done for them. Heavenly Father has given a simple pattern for us to receive the Holy Ghost, not once, but continually in the tumult of our daily lives. The pattern is repeated in the sacramental prayer. We promise that we will always remember the Savior. We promise to take his name upon us. We promise to keep his commandments, and we promise that if we do, we will have his Spirit to be with us. Those promises work together in a wonderful way to strengthen our testimonies and in time through the atonement to change our natures as we keep our part of the promise. It is the Holy Ghost who testifies that Jesus Christ is the, is the beloved son of a heavenly father who loves us and wants us to have eternal life with him and in families. With even the beginning of that testimony, we feel a desire to serve him and to keep his commandments. When we persist in doing that, we receive the gifts of the Holy Ghost to give us power in our service. We come to see the hand of the Lord more clearly, so clearly that in time we do not only remember him, but we come to love him and through the power of the atonement we become more like him. I want to show the Lord that I remember the things he has done for me by treasuring these experiences, small and large. I will treasure them by keeping them close to my heart by telling my children often how the Lord was near and aware, by recording them in my journal, I will remember by living worthy to maintain the Holy Ghost as my companion. The Savior is aware of you. Stay close to him, and he has promised that you will not forget. Thanks for listening, and I'd love it if you feel prompted to share with anyone. I encourage you to do that, and I'll see you in a few days for part two.